book of Acts and chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I, what caught my attention when I put this sermon together was an article about the Assemblies of God. This is a very large Pentecostal denomination in the United States. It's around the world. It's no doubt in your countries. But the article was um, about how in these churches that nobody is speaking in tongues anymore. And the uh, uh, article was called Holding Your Tongue. And uh, here is the Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal uh, uh, denomination. It was birthed in Holy Ghost revival, in worship, and in open praise and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But as the years have gone by, as the churches have settled down, as they've aged, and especially as they have prospered, they have toned down worship and speaking in other tongues. And uh, it, it seems like the very power that caused them to succeed is now being set aside. And instead, now it's more about uh, organizational structure and human ability rather than it is the Holy Spirit. Now, if that can happen to a fine denomination like that, it can also happen to you and I. I want to preach this morning a very specific sermon today on the subject of speaking in tongues. I'm preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm speaking about the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit speaking in tongues. Because if God will move in any nation on the earth, he must find people who are ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so from time to time, I've had people say, Pastor Ruby, why tongues? Why is that important? Can't I just be filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? I've had people say to me, you know, Pastor, uh, we're scaring people away from our church because they come, they like the song service, they like the preaching, but they're uncomfortable with speaking in tongues. I've even had people when I was a young pastor back in my early 20s, well-meaning older people that would say to me, young man, you know, if you would just get rid of tongues, your church would really grow. Well, I believe exactly the opposite of that. I believe that what makes a church grow the right way, meaning by converts, it's because there's a dimension of the Spirit of God, because only God can save a soul, no human program. So I want to minister this morning for a few minutes on the subject of tongues. What I'm going to say to you is in the Bible. I hope you have your Bibles open or your iPads on and your Bible program open. But I want you to see as I make a biblical case of why God chose tongues as the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to read the book of Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. You follow along. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? 
How is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Verse 12 says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Father, I ask you to help us this morning. I thank you for my brethren that are serving God across Asia. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will fall mightily in their services and in their churches. And from that, men will be drawn and converted in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, tongues is the evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism. So here we have in our text, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now understand that Pentecost takes place 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus has risen from the dead and he has ascended into heaven and he gave clear instructions to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 4. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of uh, the fathers. Now listen, this, these men had been saved. These men had been called to preach the gospel. And yet Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I have something else for you. Something that is going to be necessary for you to fulfill your calling. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important that we get. This was not something vague. It wasn't something uncertain, something that was simply a doctrine or a theory, but it was a, a distinct, special touch from God uh, that would empower them to do what God called them to do. Uh, when the Holy Spirit fell, everybody there would know that the Holy Spirit fell and they could mark the moment when they had that encounter with the Holy Spirit and in our text, in verse 2 and 3, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. This is where we get the term Pentecostal from, because it happened on the day of Pentecost. They had a powerful experience. Uh, God touched their lives. Uh, and the Bible says ministered to them. Um, and they were forever changed. I'm preaching about that experience is for you. The Bible says 120 people were there. And it happened to every one of them. Um, the Holy Spirit fell uh, on them. Now I want to warn you this morning. There are people that... Say, I believe in the inspired word of God. I believe every page of this book is a word from God. And yet they will look you in the eye and say, but not Acts chapter 2. They will say, oh, that happened a long time ago, but it doesn't happen anymore. I want to tell you everything in the New Testament is still available for you and I today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the promise is still there that God wants to take those who are saved and called uh, and he wants to empower them and give them their own experience uh, in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's important here is the evidence that they've spoken uh, of the Holy Spirit is that they spoke 
in tongues. See, I meet people that say, oh, Pastor Ruby, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but I have a different gift. I have the gift of love. I have the gift of, of, of uh, being happy all the time. Whatever they do, it's all these weird uh, things. Uh, well, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what happened? I just felt warm all over. You know what I found out? You can drink a hot cup of tea and feel warm all over. This is not about a feeling on the inside. The Holy Spirit in a man or woman has a clear identifying mark. And all you have to do is go through the book of Acts and find the evidence. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute because there, are, there is such a thing as the rules of evidence. How do you know something happened? So let's just imagine for a minute this morning that you were standing on a street corner in your city, whether that is in uh, Colombo or Ho Chi Minh or in uh, Guangzhou or in uh, 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 Bangalore. It doesn't matter. But imagine you're standing on a street corner and, a view, and, a, and as cars are driving by, there is a car crash. And you're standing on that corner and you see that car crash. And so afterwards, the police show up and they want to know what happened. Do you know what they do? They go to the eyewitnesses and they ask them what happened. And they tell their story and that becomes the evidence of what happened in that car crash. If it happened on a, in the middle of an intersection... There would be people standing on all four corners uh, and they would go to each one of them. Uh, everyone seeing the same thing from a different perspective. Uh, and they would say, I saw the blue car hit the green car or I saw it this way. So when we go through the book of Acts, there are four times where the Bible talks about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, and how it ministered. Um, in people's lives. And so in every one of them, there's the evidence that when people were filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, they spoke in tongues, uh, or at the very least, it was so powerful that people watching it said, that was the Holy Spirit. It was never vague. It was never unsure, uncertain. Everybody there knew what happened. Let me give you the four examples. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we have just read the story that when the Holy Spirit came, the Bible says uh, they all began to speak in tongues. They began to worship God uh, and this had a powerful impact uh, right there. In Acts chapter 10 is our second example. It is the story where Peter has a vision that God wants him to minister to Gentiles and he goes to the house of a man named Cornelius uh, who has gathered his whole family in the house to hear the gospel from Peter. And as Peter begins to preach and minister, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell. In Acts 10, verse 45 and 46, uh, it says, Then they of the circumcision, this is referring to the Jews who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter... Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And verse 46 says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So here is Peter and the Jews, Christians that came with him to Cornelius' house. 
And as Peter preached, uh, the Holy Spirit fell and these Gentiles began to speak in tongues. And Peter said, uh, this uh, is a, a miracle from God. Uh, they are filled with the Holy Ghost like we are. How do we know that? Because they spoke in tongues. That was the mark. That is what Peter identified uh, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They spoke um, in other tongues. Then you go to the book of Acts. By the way, uh, that was 10 years after the day of Pentecost where Peter went to Cornelius' house. Then you go to Acts chapter 19 um, and the story where Paul uh, goes to Ephesus. He has been given some information. He has been told that there's a group of young men in Ephesus. Uh, these young men probably had had an encounter with a, a man named Apollos. Uh, and when Apollos met Paul in Corinth, he told him, there's a group of young men that I was able to reach. Uh, and when you get to Ephesus, look it up. Uh, so apparently Paul uh, got onto social media and connected with these guys. Uh, and they met at a Starbucks. Uh, I'm just kidding with you right now. But they got together and Paul met these young men. These men were excited for God, but they didn't have a lot of revelation. And the apostle Paul said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now think with me for a minute. The apostle Paul meets these young men that are excited for God. And to Paul, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a priority. He didn't say, well, you know, I mean, we have different doctrines and I believe in the spirit. You don't and I'll respect it. No, no, no. He said, young men, you're excited for God. But if you're going to do something for God, you're going to need more than excitement. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in your life. Um, and the Bible says their response was, we had not even heard that there is such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you know, there are a lot of good, well-meaning, sincere Christians. They don't even know about the power of the Holy Spirit. They're trying to do everything in their own strength. Uh, and the Bible says these words um, in, uh, verse, in Acts 19, verse 6, it says, And when Paul laid his hands upon them, uh, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so here again, as Paul prayed for these young men, uh, they get filled with the Spirit. How do we know that? They spoke in tongues. Uh, by the way, this happened 20 years after the day of Pentecost. 10 years afterwards, Cornelius' house, 20 years afterwards, it has now happened uh, to these young men in uh, Ephesus. And then we have another story, Acts chapter 8. Now remember what I said. It's like me watching a crash Everybody on four different corners, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, now Acts chapter 8. In this story, uh, uh, Peter and John go up to a place in Samaria because a revival has broken out. A young man named Philip has gone and pioneered in Samaria, and it was a place filled with witchcraft and idolatry, and the Holy Spirit fell. People began to get saved, or people began to move. And they caught, Philip sent a message to Jerusalem, to the elders, to the apostles, and said, hey, we're having revival here. So Peter and John went to Samaria to preach and hold a revival meeting. While they were there, they understood the necessity for the Holy Spirit. Just like uh, with Paul at Ephesus, they decided we must get these people baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they began to pray and people were powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
The Bible does not say specifically they spoke in tongues, nor does it say they didn't. What it does tell us is there was a man there named Simon. This man was a sorcerer who had started going to church and said he wanted to be a Christian. And so he was there the night that the Holy Spirit fell to this sorcerer. He was so blown away when people were filled with the Holy Spirit that he went to Peter and John and said, I will give you money if you will teach me how to do this. And what I want you to see from that is this wasn't something subtle. This was not something that was casual uh, or something that was vague. Oh no, to this man, uh, what happened that night was the most powerful thing that he had seen uh, because there was such a visible transformation and visitation. And he said, I will give you money if I can do uh, what you can do. That is a testimony, the same thing. I imagine if he would have been at Cornelius' house, he, he would, wow, if he would have been there on the day of Pentecost or in Ephesus. Uh, but what it tells me is when the Holy Spirit falls, uh, something powerful uh, happens. It is demonstrative. Uh, and by the way, this is eight years after the day of Pentecost. The Lord Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 17, these signs will follow them that believe. Uh, one of them is they shall speak uh, with new tongues. Uh, the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, I speak in tongues uh, of men and of angels. Tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I want to talk about the purpose of tongues. Because tongues is a sign of God's supernatural power. See, one of the things we have to be careful of uh, as believers, uh, that we don't go from supernatural power from God uh, to human power and ability. In the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, the apostle Paul said to the Galatian church, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? And so Paul was concerned about churches uh, that were born uh, in Holy Spirit revival. But as time goes on, they go from a spiritual dimension uh, to now saying, uh, we can take it from here. It is the age old problem where God finds us, cleans us up, touches our minds. Um, and, um, and then once we get our lives together, we say, thank you, Lord, we can take it from here. And this is the mistake of many Christians in many churches. Uh, they're born in revival. Uh, and then once they learn how to uh, uh, take a bath uh, and wear a tie uh, and get a decent job, then they kind of like, Lord, you can, you can leave us be. You can go help somebody else now in some other poor uh, backward nation like America. But we're okay now. Uh, we can take it from here. And you and I can make uh, this mistake. 1 Corinthians 14, 22 says, Therefore... Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. You know, see, the, I, oh no, Pastor Ruby, you know what? If people just, you just didn't do that tongues thing, man, people would come to church. They love everything about your church, but you're scaring them away. And yet the Apostle Paul says, you have it exactly backwards. Tongues are a sign to unbelievers. Uh, and that is exactly what happens at the day of Pentecost in our text in chapter 2. The Bible says that as they began to worship in tongues, uh, 
people began to come. Absolutely, people mocked. Absolutely, people made fun. But I want to tell you, that's not the whole story. Now, I know there are some people that you might be watching saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor Ruby. The Bible doesn't say they spoke in tongues. They spoke in other languages. That's what they did. Yeah, they were speaking in, in uh, uh, Italian and Persian, and they were speaking in Egyptian. That is not what the Bible says. It does not. It says they spoke in tongues. It said the people listening heard it in their own language. This was not what they were saying. It was what the Holy Spirit was permitting them to hear. They were speaking in tongues. Uh, and as they were doing that, uh, they were not pushing people away. They were drawing people uh, towards them. Um, and we know that when Peter got up and preached, um, 3,000 souls uh, were saved. And the takeaway, the lesson from Acts chapter 2, uh, is that any revival is not human genius. Any revival is not because of some clever preacher. It's not because somebody is such a great orator that people are spellbound. Oh, no. It is always a demonstration and the power of the Spirit of God. And you know what that tells me? It tells me we should not hide speaking in tongues uh, to the world. And that's what a lot of Christianity is doing today. They're saying, no, no. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I know those scriptures are there, but don't tell anybody. You know, don't. You know, I'm but we don't want anybody to know. And so this is the mentality. Do you know there's a man in America that wrote a book called How to Be Pentecostal Without Speaking in Tongues? Now, why would you write a book like that? Why would you say, oh, yeah, no, I want Pentecost. Man, I want everything uh, that's a result of Pentecost. Uh, man, those guys that were timid are now bold. Uh, the gospel's being preached. Um, there's worship. Oh, yeah, we want all of that. But I don't want to deal with tongues. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, you're going to have to have it all. The other thing that's become really popular nowadays is the hide it. Let me tell you a little story. You know, the, our fellowship began in the Jesus People movement that began in America in the late 60s and early 70s. It was a Pentecostal revival. People were getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Thousands of young people that had given themselves to sex and drugs and rock and roll were getting saved and getting baptized in the Pacific Ocean. That is where our fellowship came from. But as the church began to grow, I remember about 10 years later, I got saved in 1979 at kind of the very end of that move of God. And many of those churches that started in Holy Spirit revival by the 1980s, they had built beautiful buildings. They had become successful. The people that started out as, as just hardcore long hair hippies now had jobs, had families. And so what they started doing in their service is they would gather, but they began to tone down open worship. It was just beautiful songs. You could lift your hands. Uh, you could say, praise you, Lord, praise you, Lord. Hey, and do things like that. But when it came to speaking, oh, no, no, we don't want you to do that anymore. And so what they did is after church, we have an afterglow. And so those of you that are, you know, from old timers that got saved and tongue talking, you know, let's not do it in church because we don't want to scare people. Afterwards, you can go into the prayer room and you can speak in tongues all you want. In other words, we're going to marginalize you 
because we don't want to do this. Today, none of those churches have any expression of worship at all. Because this belief that, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't draw, it sends people away. And so people develop uh, this mentality, let's play it down, let's clap, let's raise our hands. We can even do some of this, but we're not going to, don't do that tongue stuff. Because you're going to scare people away. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, the Apostle Paul said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And what we're really saying then is that reaching people is a, a human effort and human genius and not the spirit of God. Or we can just make an emotional appeal. Let me uh, give you my own personal testimony. So here I am. I'm 15 years old. The first time I went to the door, the church in Tucson, Arizona, I have not been raised in any Bible background. I don't have any reference point. I never heard of tongues. The man that got me to church, it was, I was 15, Ben Brown, he's about 21-year-old psycho who had gotten saved. And he said to me, Rich, I will give you $10 and buy you dinner if you'll come to church with me tonight. And I said, okay. That's the language of a 15-year-old. And so we were about a block away from the church. And he said, oh, by the way, they speak in tongues. I never heard of that. And he's driving his car. He'd only been saved a couple of months. And he goes, yeah, they speak in tongues. And I go, what's that? He goes, he showed me. I had no clue what he was talking about. But I do remember this. About a block away from the church there, if you're driving down South 6th Avenue in Tucson, there's a McDonald's right on the corner, Veterans Boulevard. It's still there. And I think the same people are still working there almost 40 years later. And... And what I never forgot, because when I saw McDonald's, you know, when you're 15, you notice McDonald's. I began to feel very, very uncomfortable. I never felt in my life that I began, my chest began to feel heavy. I began to get a little sweaty and I had no idea why. We got to the church. We parked. We came inside about 635 or something like that. And he goes, and he sat me down in a building that was empty, just some metal chairs. I'm sitting there by myself. He goes, I'll be right back. He was going to prayer meeting. And so there in another, I have no idea. And I'm just sitting there by myself. And I just keep seeing people come in and out of that room. And then uh, I remember when the church service started, they had a song service. They sang, they clapped. I'd never been in a song service before. And it was interesting to me. But I want to tell you, uh, when they began to sing a worship song, and then they said, let's worship God. And all of a sudden, I'm in a building with maybe about 200 people at the time. And they began to speak in tongues. I want to tell you, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was already a pretty good-sized doper by then, or druggie. I don't know how you say it in Asia. But I was already a pretty, I've been used to quite a bit of drugs already. But I want to tell you uh, what I felt at that moment, I'd never felt before. I, I mean to tell you, uh, I, I was in God's presence. I wouldn't have understood that. I could, I'd, theologically, I couldn't get it. But I knew when they spoke in tongues, uh, oh, that didn't scare me. Uh, it put the fear of God in me. God was there. I don't remember much about the preaching. I don't remember much about the anything else. I remember two things about that night. It was the worship of God in tongues and the altar call. I want to tell you those things put a deep impression on me. I did not get saved that night. 
I left that church, um, and the more I thought about it, the angrier I became, and how dare they, and they're all a bunch of hypocrites, and, and, and I swore I'd never go back to that church, but I want to tell you, nine months later, I found myself back in that church, and guess what? I felt the exact same thing. Only difference this time is I got radically converted, uh, and then I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me this morning that the Holy Spirit pushes people away. No, the Holy Spirit, uh, if I could say this in a polite way, punches you right in the mouth and confronts you about who you really are. No human genius. There were no words that could have brought the revelation of God uh, like worship uh, and speaking in other tongues. Tongues lead us to God. I think it's significant that God shows up to demonstrate the power of the Holy Ghost by using the human tongue. Listen to the words of James in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. We put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. James says that our tongue is the steering wheel of our personality. Just like a bit in a horse's mouth, can, you can direct that horse. Uh, and the rudder on a ship can direct a ship. Uh, he says your tongue directs uh, your personality. And God is saying that when you and I are speaking in tongues, he's piloting our lives. I've said it many times. Listen to a person speak long enough and you will know the direction that they are going because their tongue is a steering wheel. And when a man or woman surrenders their tongue to God, that's what really the issue is. I pray for people for the baptism of the Holy Spirit all the time. And you realize that the issue many times for them is they don't want to let go of their tongue. They don't want to let go of the wheel. They want the Holy Spirit, but they want the Holy Spirit. But I, I, I want to make sure that I control this thing. And God says, I will steer you if you will let me fill you with the Holy Spirit. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 through 4. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands them. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Quickly, people say, well, when you're speaking in tongues, I don't know what you're saying. You know why? Because I'm not talking to you. He says, a man speaking in tongues speaks unto God. Verse 3, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. But he who speaks in tongue edifies himself. You know what that means? It means to build up. When a man is speaking in tongues, he is building himself up towards God or the picture James says, he is steering himself towards God. I wonder how many people that are listening to this sermon this morning, you say, Pastor Ruby, I want to get closer to God. I want, what can I do to get closer to God? Let me read it to you again. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He builds himself up towards God. He takes the steering wheel uh, and says, I'm going to turn and I'm going to turn it in the direction of God. Tongues is a prayer language. When I pray, I pray in my native tongue. I speak English and I pray in English, but I don't always pray in English. I also pray in the power of the spirit. I might go as far as to say this. 
There are many people that have no victory in their prayer life. And the reason why is they do not let the spirit of God be a part of their prayer life. Tongues is a prayer language. It gives you authority and dominion in prayer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 uh, that there are things sometimes we don't know what to pray, but the spirit in us uh, prays in us uh, and it speaks utterances uh, that cannot be discerned. Or in other words, uh, when I'm praying in the spirit, there are things the spirit of God is praying through me. God has chosen to use men to pray. God has attached his will to our prayer life uh, and the Holy Spirit in us uh, will use us uh, to be a prayer warrior. First uh, Corinthians 14 verses 14 and 15. Paul said, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. Let me close then very quickly about getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Because at the conclusion of this video, our, your pastor is going to pray for you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to get you prepared. And I want to say three things. Number one, you qualify for it. This is for you. This is deluxe Christianity right now. God wants to give it to you. Some, oh, I, I just feel like I'm not worthy. Listen to me. None of us are worthy. The blood of Jesus makes all of us worthy. It gives us the possibility and the power and the grace of God. 120 people are there that day. All of the Bible says in verse 4, they were all filled. It is for you. It is for your children and your grandchildren. You qualify if you are a child of God. Don't settle this morning. Remember the old story about this man who came from a very poor country in Asia. And he got on a boat to... And he made his way to America. He worked hard and he got a very, very good job. So he had good money and he contacted all his relatives in Asia. And he said, I want to bring you to America. And he sent them, all of them, tickets uh, on an ocean liner, a ship to fly, uh, to, 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 to sail across the water to America. And so everybody got it. And so there were about 12 people in the family and they have their ticket and they were going to be allowed to get on this ocean liner and they take the ship across the ocean to America. And they were so happy. And so they were told it's going to take two weeks to cross the ocean. And so they packed bags full of food and different things and blankets. And they we came in, they gave them the ticket and they were brought onto the ship. And then they began to walk around and say, where can we stay for two weeks? And they finally found an area on top of the ship that was kind of sheltered. And, and so they all got in there and they got out their blankets and covered themselves. Uh, and they began to eat the food and give food to the children. Um, but as uh, the first day and the ship began to sail and the next day it rained and they're covering themselves and they're getting wet and dirty. But they don't care. They're just glad that they have a chance to make it to America. And they're, they're very happy. On the third day, one of the crew from the ship is walking around and he found them there. And there were these people. They were there and they're dirty. They're wet. They're eating a little bit of food. And he goes, who are you? And he saw them and they looked like they were in such bad condition. He thought, oh, they must have snuck onto the ship. They're stowaways. And somehow they got on the ship and they're trying to get to America. So he reported them to the captain. So the captain of the ship comes down and 
He begins to ask questions and the man says, no, 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 we have tickets. And the captain said, well, where are your tickets? So he gives them the tickets and he looks at the tickets and says, who gave you these tickets? And he said, oh, our relative in America bought them for us. He said, this is first class tickets. Come here, I'll show you. And he takes them down and he opens the door and there's this beautiful room. It has food, it's clean, it has showers, it has beds and blankets, it's warm. And he says, your relative has paid for the best travel in the whole ship. You don't have to be up there surviving, barely making it. You can have the blessing uh, uh, that comes from the price that was paid by your relative. You know what? I remember hearing that story and I thought, how many people, that's the way they are about their Christianity. They're just glad to be saved and they're there and they're just trying to do it on their own. Uh, I want to tell you when Jesus Christ paid the price for you, uh, that included the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's yours. It belongs to you. It is part of the package for every believer. Number two, you must ask for it. You know, they waited 10 days. 500 people, more than 500 people saw Jesus after he raised from the dead. Only 120 people decided to go there and said, I want this. You got to want this. Something in you has to say, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why I was baptized in the Spirit of God. Luke 11, the Lord Jesus said, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You got to ask him. He's not going to rip you up. You don't have to be afraid. Now, why would Jesus say this? Luke 11, 10 through 13. Why would he say this? Except that there are people who are afraid to ask. And the Lord Jesus takes time to say, listen, if you ask your heavenly father for this, he's not going to give you a, a scorpion. He is uh, uh, not going to uh, give you a serpent. You know, there are people, well, you know, you might open your Holy Spirit. You know, you might open yourself to a demon. That is exactly not what Jesus said. He said he will fill you with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and number three, you're going to have to take a step of faith. You're going to have to take the step of faith. When I got saved, a few days after I was saved, we were in an altar call and a brother said to me, you need to get baptized in water. And I got baptized in water. And then he said, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, uh, thank you, but I don't need the Holy Spirit. You know, all those drug addict hippies need the Holy Spirit and not me. And I fought for about three weeks. One day, when I was a young man, barely saved, I had just got my driver's license. I was driving down the road. I was still in school and I was not a very good student. You know, I, my homework was usually uh, folded up in the back pocket and I had thrown it in the back seat and the, the, the wind was blowing and my homework was blowing around in the back seat. And so I'm driving and I turned around to grab my paper and I went like this. And when I looked up, all I heard was a bump and I saw a fire hydrant, boom. And I ran over a fire hydrant. I knocked it on the ground, crashed my father's car, and I spoke in a different kind of tongue. I, I, I profanity and 
all that. And then I got horribly convicted for my sin. I felt so bad. That night, it was a Bible conference in Tucson. I went to it. I'd been saved about three weeks. And I remember uh, that night, there in the altar call, he said, if you're here and you're not saved, you're a backslider. I lifted my hand because I had backslid that day with my mouth. Now, I've heard in Asia, nobody ever uses profanity, but I did it. And so I went to the altar that night to repent because I didn't want to go to hell. And one of the brothers said, Rich, do you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, yes, I want it. And I want to tell you, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. That's what he wants to do. I'll leave you with this story and then I'm going to turn it over to your pastor. You may not know this in Asia because it's not cold, but here or where it gets cold. They say that if metal gets really cold, if you stick your tongue on it, it will stick. Your tongue will stick to the metal. So the story goes in Canada in the middle of winter one day, there were some boys walking to school. And one of the boys said to his friend, I heard that it's really cold like it is today. If you stick your tongue on metal, it will stick. And the boy goes, no way. He goes, yeah, no, I heard it's true. They have me walking by a church. And this church had a big metal cross right in front of the church. And so they were talking, well, there's some metal right there. Do it. Nah, okay, do it. And so this young boy went to this metal cross in the middle of winter, and he stuck his tongue out on the cross, and guess what? It got stuck. And so he didn't know what to do, so they had to call the police and the fire department, and they came, and there's this little boy with his tongue stuck on the cross, and they had to get warm water and pour it on the cross until the cross got warm enough and he could be disconnected. So, well, that's an interesting story, Pastor. Why did you tell us? Because maybe you need to stick your tongue on the cross this morning. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I'm tired of steering. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me, to give me power. It belongs to you this morning. He wants to baptize the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Amen. Let's bow our heads.